Welcome to See Our Studies. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into the Word of God, start a conversation, and discuss how it applies to our lives today. Hey everybody, we're back with Win in Rome. I got uh, good friends here, John and Devin Davis, hanging out. You guys were just talking about your favorite board games, and then you named a bunch of board games I've never heard of before in my life. Does that shock you in any way? No. <laughs> but to be fair, uh, we're pretty far down that like trail of board games, so we're, we're like way off the deep end. Yeah. yeah. Our family is still like super simple, so we play Uno and catchphrase and stuff like that, and you guys are like naming, I'm sure, I don't know, you guys are probably like smart people games and things like that? No, just super nerdy. Like we did the Kickstarter for a couple of the ones we mentioned. Yeah, so, like it was like a two-year wait for yeah. like funding to get the, kick- the game because mm-hmm. the Kickstarter sounded cool, and then everything got slowed down through COVID and production issues, and then it was like two years, and we finally got them. Does the game Cones of Dunshire mean anything to you? He is Ben Wyatt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually have designed a board game, not nearly that intricate, um, but yes, I have designed a board game and. Well, whatever you do, just remember, it's all about the cones. It's about the cones. It's about the cones. <laughs> uh, so, do you, would you take the role of ledgerman? Is that what your normal kind of role? I have no idea. <laughs> all right. For those of you that are lost right now, we are talking about some Parks and Recs, <laughs> Parks and Rec TV show references. Uh, we're going to get into Romans chapter four. I'm going to read the first twelve verses, and then we're going to kind of ask some questions and talk through this a little bit. If you've been following along uh, uh, with the podcast, uh, which I know a lot of you have, because like we we had weird things. Like I said, I would go to the state fair if uh, we had enough people that listened to the podcast and actually sent out an email or text to me. I got emails and texts from way more people than I was anticipating. That's so awesome. Crystal and I went to the fair, and we give it a solid C. Um, the food was delicious. We were lost the entire time that we were out there, and it is crazy expensive to play <laughs> games. So. Anyway, um, glad you guys are following along, and we'll be in chapter 4. We'll see how far we get today, but I'm going to start with the first 12 verses. So Paul picks up, he says, What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Um, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... Um, Pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declared the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from the works, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Is this the blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believed, but are not circumcised so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And so became the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but also follow in the footsteps of faith of our father Abraham, 
had Abraham while he had still uncircumcised. So I know there's a lot of repetition and words here um, that we're going to get into. There's um, kind of credited and righteousness. These are going to be common words that are going to be uh, got into in this. But let's start with kind of the basics. Like it literally the title of this chapter in, in my uh, Bible is going to be Abraham justified by faith. So let's start with kind of our lead character in this section. Paul's speaking, but he's going to use the predominant example of Abraham. Why is Abraham, I mean, couldn't you just grab somebody of that was faithful? I mean, there's, we have Hebrews 11, so there's a lot of Old Testament faithful people. Why do you guys think he had to start with Abraham? Because Abraham's the father of, like, the Jews, the covenant. He is, like, the start of all of this. Yeah, and really, if you're a Jewish person at this time, you believe that you are righteous simply because of your your lineage coming from Abraham. Yeah. So it's not he's not just the a, a, a faithful Jewish guy. Like this is the promise that they're anchoring everything to. Like yeah. this covenant, this promise, this testament that they are kind of banking everything on. In particular, you've got um, if you were, what type of people would this really get their attention? Um, when he starts bringing up people like Abraham in their culture, who do you think? I, I would guess the Jewish audience in the Roman church that he's writing to is, you know, you mentioned Abraham, you mentioned David. These are almost mythological figures that they're going to be like, hey, where's he going with this? Why, you know, why is he talking about Abraham and David? Well, yeah, that and the Jewish audience also, like, had a perceived claim on Abraham So know that we've talked about it before that the Gentiles that came into um, the Jewish like religion were not allowed to call him our father Abraham it always had to be your your father. father yeah yeah so it was like something special that they hoarded for themselves well and if he's getting into talking about the law and circumcision and who's in and who's out I mean, he's probably also addressing some of the religious elites of the day. So he's going to use Abraham. That's going to be somebody that's going to be really hard for them to argue with um, because ultimately he's going to get to using Abraham as this idea of how do we establish righteousness? How is it credited to us? He's going to use these accounting terms throughout. And so, uh, yeah, clearly speaking to the Roman church, but uh, you got to imagine they're, they're probably taking a lot of push from uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, People who would have very much seen works-based faith. I mean, we have, you know, 600-plus Levitical laws that these guys anchored their life to, um, and they think that's the hope of everything. And in here, he's going to push directly against that. Yeah, really go back right to the source. Like, hey, we're going to kind of show you, like, we're right when we say we're going to be saved in the same way as Abraham, but we've just been thinking about it kind of the wrong way. Yeah, I like the I like the idea of going back to the source. Like he's almost going back. Like you know, you guys really misunderstood this from the beginning. Yeah, um, that it, it didn't change. God didn't change His mind on how uh, we were going to be um, accredited with righteousness. Um, you misunderstood this whole thing. You kind of you took it and bent it in a different direction than it was ever intended. Of course, at this point, and those of you that are kind of listening along, the, the Bible breaks into a bunch of different eras as you kind of walk through them. And the, the period before the New Testament uh, is called the era of silence. And that's when the Pharisees um, decided to kind of go, well, God's not talking, so we'll fill in all the gaps and we'll speak for everybody. And so there's a reason there's all this confusion at this time. And Paul has to write a lot of letters kind of like 
clarifying what's going on. So Abraham's a, a key figure. He's going to be one that all of them, whether you're in the church, the fair, I mean, everybody knows who Abraham is. Um, and so just kind of looking through those first, you know, few verses, kind of one through five, um, I'm going to reread these and you guys tell me like what stands out to you? What did you learn from this? Um, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh has found, uh, according to the flesh has found if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believer, believes on him who declares the Lord, uh, who declares, excuse me, I lost my place, uh, believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, but his faith is credited for righteousness. So what do you guys get out of that? John, you want to start? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I'll stick to two for now, just to keep it a little bit short, so we can kind of like go around. Uh, so in verse two, when he says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God, it kind of made me think about Job a little bit and kind of being shown that you can't actually boast before God, that there is no boasting before God. But also in that, um, just the thought of like, if, if Abraham had done this, if he had been justified fully by his works, that would have glorified Abraham and nobody else. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be about the Jewish people being saved somehow through him because really Abraham could have only saved himself that way and nobody else. Yeah. And okay. then uh, just the other thing was the uh, counting it as a gift, like the whole idea of wages of like, there's a gift given, and that gift is being counted as righteous. But if you work for something, it's never a gift. It's you're owed, right? Like I'm legally owed wages when I go to work. Right. And again, going back to Job, like no one, God's, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact reference that we used, but basically like to who do I owe anyone? Yeah. Like you really, like you would literally make God a debtor to you if you can be justified by your works and God is in debt to none of us. How do you think the kind of looking at that part, how do you think that it impacts how we, um, how we respond to being made right? Like if you look at it as owed versus given, how is it going to impact the difference in your life? I mean, it, it should really just make you so grateful for the, the unearned grace. Um, I remember we did a lot of study on the Greek words in this because they're really interesting about that being accredited. And it's kind of like being, I forget the Greek word. I probably couldn't pronounce it right the first time anyway. <laughs> but it was about like some translations use like, I reckon that you're this. I yeah, reckon yeah. you're accounted, that you're, that you're righteous. It's a statement of reality of like God says this, therefore it is true. And it really is humbling to think like, I know I can never earn this, but this amazing gift was given, and that should really just eliminate all of my pride, all of my like hubris, because like I got something amazing that I can never earn, I can never pay back, and yet God gave it to me anyway. Mm. And that should really just be the basis of like, man, like I just want to love and worship God because He did this awesome thing that I never had a chance to do. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Devin, what about you in those first five verses? What stands out to you? Uh, I mean, mostly the same. The, yep. um, but I also, the phrase Abraham believed God 
Um, so back in Genesis 15 was like this impossible seeming promise of a guy who was like 100 plus years old, his wife also super old. They are not having kids, but God tells them you will have offspring like innumerable as much as the stars. Yeah. And I think um, this, I mean, this might just be me, but I think it's more than just him believing what God said and more of him like believing in God and believing who God is. And that's what made it counted as righteousness. Yeah. Uh, So let me ask you this. So we've kind of played devil's advocate here. So let's say I'm doing a kind of a a reading of scripture from beginning to end. And I read the account of, I think it's in Genesis uh, 12 and then 15. And uh, there's another major chapter, kind of the the back section of Genesis really talks about Abraham's life a lot. But um, initially, you know, God says you're going to have a bunch of kids. And he, his wife doesn't get pregnant. So he goes off and he has, you know, uh, you know, a relationship with, with his, his, uh, Hagar. Uh, yeah, with Hagar, is the handmaiden or maidservant, whatever they call yeah. her in the time, but um, which wouldn't have been super unusual in that day and time, like yeah. uh, to use a surrogate in, in that situation. Um, but some people might look at that and go, "Well, it says he believed." Um, it doesn't sound like it didn't doesn't look like the actions of somebody who really right. believed all that much. So, yeah. like, what would you say to somebody who like might present that back? I mean, if he he believed in the moment, but like belief doesn't isn't the absence of doubt. Yeah. I mean, you can, there are stumbles in walks. Like I've been walking for 30 plus years. I still trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think it's no different than that. Yeah, I I totally agree. I just wanted to bring that up because I think people can present that kind of of an argument to this is, isn't, you're saying he believed, but this is the first thing he did was screw everything up. And and yet I would go... Um, How like the rest of us. Right, right, just <laughs> yeah. like the rest of us. But also, like, I mean, there's another 10 years that passes. That's what um, I was going to say. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I say, I, I don't, from, like, each event, I don't quite remember the timeline, but sometimes, especially in Genesis, you read the event, you read something else a couple sentences later, and a lot of time has passed by. Yeah. I think from the time of him being told, I'm making you righteous, to the time of the circumcision is like at least 15 years. Yep. And sometimes we don't realize that when you read sentence to sentence. When you think about it that way, and it's like God gives me a promise, 10 years later I'm still sitting around going, where is it? Yep. It, it's, it's easy for your faith to waver as a human, but I think it makes it a little bit more understandable how that happens when you think about the timelines. Yeah, and I think it makes it relatable to our lives where you can go, man, my belief in 15 years ago was nowhere near where my belief is today. And to go, like, Abraham's also a human being. Like, he grew in that and so grew in that understanding of what it meant to believe and trust God. Because maybe early on he went, you know what? Maybe God meant I'm supposed to be with Hagar. That's a pretty normal thing in our culture. And God had to kind of correct that line of thinking. Obviously, it wasn't the right line of thinking. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that comes from that that we don't have remotely the time to get into at this point. But um, there's there's this faith that grows in him. And then eventually, by the time you know they do have a child, you get to see some really special and amazing things that kind of come as that faith has developed and grown over time. Uh, one of the things that jumped out, did you have another, any, another part you wanted to mention? Um, kind of. So... That first, first one, it says, Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. And then mm. you jump forward to like the end of the chunk we're covering. It says, our father, Abraham. Um, oh, dear. 
had it written down. Um, I personally really like that it like calls out the difference between like he's the Jewish like spirit uh, physical father versus like the spiritual father of everybody else. Um, and then I got the VBS song stuck in my head for three days. <laughs> father Abraham. Yeah. I yeah, I still haven't heard except for Jason singing it. Kind You've of never heard the song? No, he he didn't grow up didn't in really the VBS scene. <laughs> oh man, it's a, it's a banger. You'll have to download it. I'm sure it's on Spotify. It's somewhere. the Christian hokey pokey. Absolutely, is what it is. Yeah, which is a it's one of those weird things where we take something and turn it into a kids moment. And I'm like, I'm not real sure how we got there, but um, you know, what we do with Bible stories, especially Old Testament Bible stories, all the time. Uh, you know, I, I like the same thing you're talking about with um, the flesh, you know, because for them, they are thinking initially so much about like physical lineage of passing from bloodline to bloodline. But he's going to vary that we're going to get into this as we as we go further. The, the, this righteousness is not going to be passed that way. Um, and there's going to be a different method that we're going to get into. Um, but we'll get into that in a second. The other thing that I thought was interesting, you know, when uh, one of the things we teach in Equip Bible is whenever you're reading a text, read around it. So he picks up, most texts will start this by, with the word therefore, which, you know, we, we, you know, there's the old adage, you know, ask what it's there for. But if you read back, like in, in chapter one, two, and three, I mean, you guys have been doing the study. I mean, like Paul is just pounding away at the reality of sin in our life and that no one escapes that and the separation that it creates between us and God. And, um, and then he gets into the end of chapter three and says in verse 27, um, where then is the boasting? Is it excluded by what kind of law? Um, by one works, uh, or sorry, by one of works? Uh, no, on the contrary, by law of faith. And so he says, okay, there's boasting, law, works, and none of that is what gets you faith. And then it's interesting as he uses Abraham as the illustration in chapter four, he brings in the same order for Abraham, boasting, uh, 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 law, and works. Like he kind of addresses the same, like he's answering his own question mm-hmm. of like, he said, these things don't create faith. And then he turns around and goes, now let me take our patriarch, Abraham, and walk you through those exact same things and go like, even with him, this isn't how it got, how he got made righteous. Um, and I just like the the symmetry of that in scripture. Yeah, Paul's really good at that. Like, There's a lot of rhetorical questions in oh, Romans. Yeah. Not, yeah. not just that, but like, like... Like you said, going back to like three twenty-seven ish, he he hits on something and he spends some time like fleshing it out more, and then using the appropriate illustration. So I've kind of jokingly said before, if you're learn if you want to learn how to be like more persuasive, take some notes from Paul. Yeah, and like he knows his audience, he knows it's going to resonate well with them, and he knows how to like structure what he's arguing, and then to give you like the practical, like visual for it. That basically by the time he's done they can't really argue against it. It's kind of like, you know, he said some really, uh, he said some things. Yeah. That we got to think about now, <laughs> you know? Yeah, do you want to argue against Abraham? Do you want to argue against David? Do you, uh, like, yeah. yeah, it makes it really difficult to push against. And um, and so when we move on and you look at verse six, he is going to shift gears very briefly and he's going to jump into David. And then he's going to quote some of David's own writing. Um, Devin, we'll start with you. Like, why in this? I know it's going to be somewhat of a similar question. Why do you think he now moves to David, and what do you think the relevance is of these verses that he's using? Well, um, so I think he uses 
David because like David is like the the writer of like the Psalms, which were like a big part of the Old Testament, their yep. book. Um, so you have Abraham who is like representing the law. You have David who's representing the Psalms, and then you have I can't remember where it is, but he like he quotes from Habakkuk a couple times of like being justified through yeah. faith or will live through faith or something. Um, so I think like that, like he wants to make an argument from like each big part mm-hmm. of the Old Testament. And David is also like, it's King David, like yeah. the Messiah, like is the son of David. It's a big figure for them as well. Yeah. So you've got the laws, songs, and prophets, yeah. all that kind of stuff tied into that. Anything else you would add? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was pretty similar, but I think that Devin had a, a thing she f- kind of researched as we were preparing yeah. to teach that mm. that night that I thought was just really awesome because, uh, you know, David, I think everyone would look at and say, well, of course David's in, right? <laughs> like yeah. he killed Goliath and he was like our greatest king. And no one's going to argue that like David was righteous and, you know, would be with God. But there's a very real problem with that if you're fa- if, if you're justified by works. And I think Devin yeah. had an awesome view yeah, of it. Yeah, so, yeah, I've got, I've got it. That's why I write down everything. Um, so traditionally speaking, um, Psalm 32, which is what he's quoting here, was written after David had repented from the incident with Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Um, so according to the Levitical law and... I don't have the exact verse from Leviticus, but it says like adulterers, like both of them will be put to death. There's not like a sacrifice to atone for this. Mm. So he committed an act that he, based on works only, could not be forgiven for. So it's impossible for him to be counted righteous if it's just from the law and works. Gotcha. Um, Yeah, and he... And then in that psalm, when he talks about being basically being forgiven, it's mm-hmm. like he's pretty much preaching the gospel himself through the psalm yeah. by showing like he basically just came to God and repented and asked for forgiveness. Yeah, mm-hmm. because yeah. he didn't have another alternative. The law couldn't save him because there was no atoning sacrifice for the sin that he'd committed. Yeah, and in the process, kind of to, to tie this together, so David is going to give us a a personal illustration of um, righteousness does not come from works because. He had committed something according to the works, like you're saying, that cannot be made right according to the law, uh, according to the Levitical law. And, and so he, he's going to quote, uh, you know, in this psalm, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven, whose sins are covered, um, the person that the Lord will never charge with sin. None of that is based on works. Like he's going, if you're looking at works, this person is convicted, guilty, done, finished, and yet blessed. Like if you're works-based, you go, blessed is the one who keeps all the statutes. Yeah. Blessed is the one who fulfills all the law of God. Yeah. And he's not doing that. He's, going, he's like, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven. Like our blessing comes from the grace of God um, and being credited with righteousness. And so they're establishing this understanding. And we're going to go a step further here as you look at verses 9 through 12. He's going to go back to Abraham again. Um, and we're going to get into the word. I mean, I, I looked it up earlier. It was like the, the word um, like righteousness is used like 14 times in this chapter and credited is used like a whole bunch of others, a whole bunch. And I'm just in this section. I didn't count them, but it feels like circumcised yeah. is used like 87 times in this. Yeah, we made a, a joke about that when JD kind of assigned the sections out. 
<laughs> it's like, man, we got chapter one about condemnation, and then we got circumcisions. Like, this is, <laughs> this is good stuff. <laughs> condemnation, circumcision, what else can we give you guys? It'll be awesome. All right. Let's, so, uh, he, yeah. So, so there, there's, there is a lot of really amazing stuff here. There's something, there, there's several things that are incredibly significant. I mean, first of all, we're going to get a direct statement here. It's been, it's been said already in the text, um, but faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness, but it's going to get into this other stuff, and I'll do a, a quick reread. Um, is this blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way was he credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? That's a very telling question that he knows his audience is going to be interested in, and we'll get into why. Um, it was not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. And the answer, probably equally interesting for everybody that was listening and shocking. Um, and he received the sign of the circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe, but not circumcised so that the righteous may be credited to them. Also, he became the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but also uh, follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had while he was still still uncircumcised. Again, you get a lot of repetition, but um, John, we'll start with you. Do you. Can you help us kind of unpack a little bit of what's going on in this? Uh, well, this is one of the things that I love about doing like a podcast or a teaching is, you know, sometimes you, you know you, you read some verses and it just kind of at some point feels like a, a word soup, um, and then you go, yeah, what is, Paul, right, right, and so you go, what does this mean? It feels like a lot of churchy words being jammed together, you know, circumcision, righteousness, faith. And, and I love to take complicated things and begin to try to simplify them so that we can go, okay, well, there's significant, there's huge significance and yeah. implications to this part of the text. Yeah, so I'll, this might take a minute to so just stop me if I start going too deep, but... Go for it. So uh, Paul's writing this to a, a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles, and the circumcision is incredibly important to the Jewish people. They basically believe once I get circumcised, I'm in. Right. That's it. I'm good. I'm membership class was probably yeah. really interesting. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like through Abraham and that's having that circumcision was kind of like this sign that like hey, this is my justification. I am now righteous and made right with God and it doesn't really matter what else I do. I, I have that. So so for one for Paul to kind of question that and say well it turns out he was already righteous and the circumcision doesn't actually make him righteous would be eroding a very real like pillar of their entire faith. Yeah. But then similar to what you were saying about like things kind of get repetitive. Well repetition is a literary tool. Yeah. And you use that because something's important. So I I like to kind of do a little thing where I kind of like the five whys. Why would he focus so much on circumcision? Mm -hmm. If you can answer that question, then you can say, well, because it was important to the Jewish people. Well, then you say, okay, well, then why was it important to the Jewish people? And you kind of keep going back, and you can kind of keep uncovering more and more to understand context. And one thing I thought was interesting as we were studying this and preparing for it was that, you know, put yourself in the shoes of a Jewish person, historically speaking, like th this would be a little difficult of an argument for Paul to have because historically, every time somebody would come and basically attack circumcision, it was literally trying to strip them of their relationship with God. So on some Jewish commentary I read, if you look back at like 1 Kings when 
think it's Elijah is like fleeing. He's pleading out to God saying like, nobody keeps your commandments. The, the Jewish commentary on that was actually that Queen um, Jezebel. Jezebel, thank you, the terrible one, mm-hmm. had actually outlawed, as part of their like trying to make the Jewish people less Jewish and more pagan-like, they had outlawed circumcision. And that's a very like real, tangible attack on your, like, like circumcision represented you are physically set apart from the rest of everyone else yeah. for God. So by outlawing that, you start saying, well, you're no longer set apart for God. And then we see the same thing, um, going back to another class that we taught like a year ago, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the Seleucid Empire ruler. If you've ever heard of the Maccabean Rebellion and Hanukkah, he's the guy they were rebelling against. He's like Old Testament Hitler. He hated the Jewish people and very intently was trying to like destroy Judaism off earth. So what they do? They outlaw circumcision, and any mother who had their son circumcised, they were paraded around the city, and they'd all be thrown off a wall to their death. Mm. So, like, kind of, kind of attacking that, like, has to be a little bit risky if you're Paul, because it carries with it some very real historical impact of like every time this comes up, somebody's trying to strip us of like our special relationship with God. And in a way, he kind of is because he's showing that, like, there is there is still a special relationship with God, but it's just not the same manner that you thought that it was. Yeah. Debbie? Um, I, you know, we, I mean, we talked about that a lot, um, trying to prepare for this one, but... More than you'd think for, yeah. like, that little section about circumcision ended up with, like, much deeper conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think what I landed on is it wasn't really the... It wasn't what the physical act was. It was that there was a physical act that, like a sign or seal that you accepted the covenant and like all the things that came with it. Um, I think like the modern day equivalent would be baptism now. Right. Because it wasn't the circumcision that made Abraham righteous and, and saved. It was like this already happened and then the sign came. And it's like with baptism, like we are already saved and dead to sin. That's why you're, you know, you don't, you don't get buried until you're dead. So you're dead to sin, get buried in baptism and, and raised again. Yep. And it, I don't know, it was the same thing for me. Yeah, so that, I, I love all that. That's, that's all like super, super helpful. Like there's... Um, because I do think this is a place when a lot of people will tend to get lost because, I mean, we don't relate a lot of our faith today to things like circumcision and things like yeah. that. Um, and so we can get lost in kind of the, ooh, that's interesting and personal. Um, you know, when you think about, like, somebody's circumcision be defining their faith. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting to be reminded of is, like, there's a lot. So the Jewish people had a lot of presupposition about people like Abraham. For example, they're like, okay, Abraham was a Jew like us, and he's for a Jew like us, and he's the father of the Jews. And they would think things like Abraham was, um, a, a, you know, he was a keeper of the law the same way that we're a keeper of the law. That's why we all align, except neither of those things is true. Right. So Abraham uh, yeah, there's is a presupposition that he kept the entire law before it was ever given, either by... Yeah anticipation or intuition yeah that's the point like the law the law as we know it is is 500 years away 
when Abraham is running around. Yeah. So he's not a keeper of all these laws the way they, they see this. And then also to be a Jew is is to come and, and be kind of a descendancy of a particular tribe and nation. And that didn't exist when Abraham is running around. Yeah. And so it, the word Gentile, did you guys get into a study of like what the word Gentile means? Word Gentile just means nation. So like it gets developed later for Gentile basically meaning uh, not for the Jewish, Jewish people, any, anything that is not Jewish. All other nations. But like if you look at it and you go, okay, so Abraham, so go with me, I'll see if you have this aha moment that I did. So Abraham is the father of many nations. Yeah. So that's the same word as Gentile. Gotcha. So in this. That's really cool. You got this thing. You just reminded me of something too. I'll share it in a minute. Okay, don't forget. So but I, want, I want to finish unpacking this for a minute. So he's going, is, is he righteous because he was circumcised? Because the Jews got to be circumcised to be made right. And they're like, no, his righteousness was while he was uncircumcised. So while he was a Gentile. While he was yeah. a Gentile. Yeah. Boom. So, and then it goes on to say this, and there's, I think there's a very clear reason why it says it this way in verse 11, it looks like. Yeah. In verse 11, this way, this was to make him the father of all, all nations who believed. So there's this idea that like the Jewish people were God's chosen people and and then later on, God decided, hey, I'll throw the Gentiles in with you. But if you, if you read the Bible correctly, you know that, that God's love and grace and desire to make right the world was actually everybody and not just one tribe. Which, I mean, for it's me, part it gives of the us, original plan. It, yeah, God didn't change plans. Yeah. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. And so he always had a plan to save the Jew and the Gentile because his, his hope and his love is for the world. Yeah. Um, and so circumcision or not circumcision is a delineation they used to separate the people, not the righteousness necessarily. They really wanted a separation of peoples. And he said, no, 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 you've got a, a guy in, in Abraham who is a Gentile who becomes Jew, yeah. who is uncircumcised, becomes circumcised, and his righteousness predates both of those things. So it is not based on these things that you've been banking on for righteousness. So yeah. what was the thing you were remembering? Yeah, so it was interesting too, like, so the word Gentile and how that's used in the Old Testament, um, uncircumcised also has an interesting meaning in, in Hebrew. It, it can kind of generally be used for the word obstructed. So actually when, when Moses in Exodus says, like, basically I have a speech impediment, I can't speak clearly, it's mm -hmm. actually the same word as uncir uncircumcised. It's I have an obstruction of the tongue. Gotcha. And then Jeremiah uses the same nomenclature when he's talking about their hearts are far from me, their ears don't listen. He basically uses the uncircumcised to say their ears are blocked, their hearts are blocked, their motivation is unable to pursue me because they are obstructed. Mm. And so the act of salvation, you know, we'll, I think we'll get into this a little bit later, I might be skipping ahead a little bit, is kind of the removal of the obstruction that kind of holds you back from that real relationship with God. Wow. I love that. I mean, one of the things that we've said a long time here is, is as the church, both as Crossroads is, um, well, Crossroads is a church, but I mean, for the Big C Church as well, is like one of the things that it should be the call for us from the gospel is to help remove obstacles from people that are trying to come to faith. Um, and for a lot of people, you know, it became, I mean, you get into this in the book of Acts where they argue over this, do they have to be circumcised right. or uncircumcised? 
um, and stand up at the Jerusalem Council and be like, stop, stop trying to add burdens to the Gentiles that none of us were able to keep either. Yeah. And it's this whole thing, like a call of us as Christians is how do we get people to Jesus, not how do we create obstructions for people to keep them from Jesus? You know, are you gonna are you gonna be a wall builder, or are you going to just tear? Are you gonna be you know tear down? This is a different context, but like Paul says, tear down the dividing walls of hostility that separate us. And um, man, I love that. That's that is really cool and extremely powerful. Um, well, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna uh, we're gonna hit stop for right now, and hopefully you've got a lot to chew on for uh, chapter four verses one through twelve. But there is a lot more really cool stuff to come. So we'll be back with you on the next podcast to go through the rest of chapter four. See you.